0: You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network.
1: Hi folks, and welcome to Let's Talk Apple episode 59, the show for July 2018, and I'm your host, Bart Puchotts. Joining me today, I have a fantastic panel, as always. Um, let me see from the sort of warm, sunny Californian side of America. We're joined by Adam Christensen from the MacCast. Hi, Adam.
2: Hey, how you doing?
1: I am doing just grand. And for some reason, my brain couldn't get as far as west, which is why I went with California side. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're. I hope you guys are doing well over there. Uh, doing I th- all right, yeah. I think Linda is physically in the same general neck of the woods, because if you're if you're in the Silicon Valley Mac users group, then you must be near the Silicon Valley is my logic. So
0: hi, Linda. That's true. Hi. Hi, Bart. It's good to, good to speak with you again. Uh, Silicon Valley, technically, I'm considerably north of Adam because California is a big state, but um, we're both in California.
1: Cool. And then a little bit less exotic and a little bit closer to me. We're also joined by Nick Riley from the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Hi, Nick.
3: Hi, Bart. Yeah, it's good to be back, and um, we're having weather that's not un-California like.
1: I know it's been quite the summer here, hasn't it? We don't know what it to certainly do. has. Now we had hurricanes in the winter, and I did say we we had built up karma for a good summer having you know hurricanes in Ireland. I mean, what that what that's not supposed so to happen? Just
2: just a quick. <laughs> quick little geography lesson for people over there Bart mm-hmm. is because uh, this came up in um, another show I do with a bunch of guys from the UK because people were worried about the fires yes. and oh, my yeah. proximity to them uh, mm-hmm. which are up in even further north east I think of even Linda right Linda
0: definitely north I think it's uh, yeah. I guess I think <laughs> the state goes a little bit to the west but yeah I think definitely Correct. north more I would say more Yeah, Northeast is what you said. That's right.
2: So so. I had to point out that, you know, physically, if you overlaid the UK Mm -hmm. uh, on top of California, I would be basically somewhere in the English Channel. And Linda would be basically at the very tippy-tippy top of Ireland.
1: Okay. Yeah. I I mean... (laughs) The distances we have here just don't, they don't scale the same way they do for you guys in the States. Yeah. Unless you're in so New England. we are in the
2: same state, but, but very, still very far apart.
1: Yeah. And I'm glad to hear you aren't are in danger from those fires because they're kind of scary looking.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: I guess, so you're probably as far from those fires as we are from the ones in Portugal. It's just that over here, it's a different country.
2: Right. Exactly. You got it.
1: Uh, while we're not being on topic, um, I believe both your, both Adam and Linda were over at the Macstock Expo. So, uh, do you want to tell the listeners what that is? Because it's this rather fun sort of thing that was created by the community to replace, you know, Macworld. I guess
0: it's a yeah, it's a small conference. Um, I think the total attendees were a little bit under two hundred, and it's in the Chicago area. Um, and it is, at least it is a tremendous amount of fun. And, uh, for me, I, I just learned a lot of new things this year and it was, it was great fun. Adam spoke, I'll speak for us and Adam did an excellent job and I learned some cool things. Um, and then Alison also spoke and was absolutely stellar. And there are other people that, um, well, uh, Don McAllister was there, a countryman of Nick's, and, um. Yeah, so there were a lot of people that you know, and um, it was it was I had an awesome time at, like I said, and I learned a great deal.
1: Oh, was this your first one?
0: No, this was our third.
1: Okay, and Adam, you yeah. you presented before, this I believe, was, as well. Yeah,
2: this is my second, yeah, and my second time time speaking as well. There was also David Ginsburg and Brett Terpstra and Mike Schmidt. Schmitz. Schmitz. Schmidt. Schmidt. Yeah. Schmidt, I'm I think. probably gonna get it wrong. I, I can I think there's a Z on the end there. I can't remember. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. just you know, <laughs> fabulous people and it's put together by uh, Mike Potter from Format Guys only. He's been doing it for a number of years and he just does a fabulous job and it's at this great facility, this community college uh, in Woodstock, uh, Illinois, That's the Mac stock name. Um is that the and, same Woodstock where there was a bit of a concert a while ago no that's new Aww. york <laughs> that's so, yeah. different woodstock, but what's nice about it is um I like the fact that geographically it is – I mean it's about an hour north of Chicago, so you're not really near much, hmm. which for me when it comes to a tech conference is really great because there's great restaurants and and interesting things to do around there. But people don't go off in all directions in, yeah. you know, when you're there. So you get a lot of time – quality time spent with people which i which you know in addition to the great panels and stuff like that i think is really important for a conference so barry uh folk also puts together a bunch of like extracurricular after hours things and this year was he outdid himself um there's a great little little, uh pub bar right next to the hotel most people were staying in and they were doing karaoke there every night and we were having hors d'oeuvres and appetizers and just hanging out and having a good time we he set up a couple game rooms, so there was tabletop board gaming, and it was just a big geek out fest for a couple of days. And like Linda said, you really learned a lot, very high quality speakers, great sessions. I mean, everything you could want from a conference. And you're right, Bart, it's very much meant to be sort of that community feel that Mac World iWorld had, but I would say it's even one better because it is, again, a much smaller conference. Excellent.
1: Uh, and it's it's running again next year. So if that sounded like fun yes. to people, then the same, the same bat time, the same bat channel. Uh, but next uh, summer
2: it's going to be a little bit later in July. Let me get the dates for you. I think they oh, have okay. already been announced, but um, it is the twenty seventh and twenty eighth of July, twenty nineteen. So mark your calendars for that, and you can check. Um, I think it's maxstockconferenceandexpo.com dot com is the. I'd say.
1: Yeah. and a ballpark. What sort of prices are we talking for attending?
2: Just, just vague oh, ballpark. Extremely, extremely affordable. Um, I want to say Linda would probably know better. What? Was it around seventy-five for the early bird?
0: That sounds right. Seventy-five, oh, seventy-nine. Wow. I'd have to look it up. And so that it's includes the cu- like yeah.
2: lunch both days. Yeah. So, so basically,
1: flights. Somewhere to stay on seventy-five bucks. That's pretty decent. Well, and the,
2: and the hotel rate was also very, very good, and it was a very nice hotel that had. I mean, it was hotel breakfast, but breakfast included. So, so you're right. properly fed. Well,
1: okay, this, this yeah. is important, of course. <laughs> cool.
3: I'd love to go, but I've looked at the uh, flight costs from Birmingham <laughs> there.
2: Uh... A bit, a bit astronomical in all honesty. Sorry. I guess you I, can I mean, you guys could come in Don McAllister's luggage or something.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. And I'll
1: just hit you right on <laughs> the plane as it flies over Dublin. Is that the idea? <laughs> yeah.
0: Get, well, get, if you can get to Liverpool, you just have to get to Liverpool, right, where Don is. Well, that's true, I
1: suppose.
2: Um, and they are, they are offering, I think, this year a digital pass um, oh, right. at some point. They're going to make videos available. So if you can't physically travel... Um, you will have a way to like watch the videos once those have been, I don't know when they're going to be up yeah. and produced. But, Which so is half of cool. the
1: value of a conference like this. So the learning stuff is, is, is a very important half, but I think the networking is, is equally as, you know, as equally as valuable right. probably. Right. Okay. Well, um, I'm glad you guys had fun. Um, and let us get stuck into the Apple news for July of 2018. Uh, last Show we spoke about a demo Google did of something they were calling Duplex, which is basically VoIP AI. And the demo was, I, it was very clearly very staged because it wasn't really a demo; it was a video of a demo they had done at some point previously, and it it, it, well, it was a bit controversial. Uh, since then, I just have a wee follow-up, um, Google actually got together with some real reporters in an actual room and actually demoed a thing in real time, and they let the reporters pretend to be the restaurant or whatever that was being booked with, and um, which is kind of brave, actually, because it meant that a lot of them tried to throw curveballs at the AI to see how the AI would behave, which I guess is realistic. Um, and the interesting thing is it performed very well, and the you know, obviously it's a constrained task, and also it very clearly identified itself as what it was, which is Google's artificial AI, which is something that a lot of people were concerned about, that it was too good at mimicking humans in a spooky way instead of in a putting our mind at ease kind of a way. So it was nice to see that they've honed that a little bit. Anyone have any thoughts?
3: I thought it was interesting um, in the article that they actually stated that um, when, when the AI, even even when the AI announces itself, mm. that they actually get a much better response um, from the AI when it when it does what I just did and say um and r, ah, uh, yeah. than when they just had a, a almost like a recorded message that people didn't respond to that very well.
1: Which is very human, and that was, I guess, the whole thesis behind Duplex, was that they had done the, the science to prove that humans respond very well to a more human voice, and then by having it not announce themselves, they took it from oh, that's cool, to oh, that's creepy. So I'm glad we've dialed it back <laughs> yes. to oh, that's cool. Right.
2: Do, yep. do you feel like the announcing itself as an AI would cause the human on the other end to... I'm curious how that would cause the behavior of the human on the other end to change, if that makes any sense. If the I voice know was that,
1: robotic, I think it would, because we humans, we mirror a lot. But the fact that it's umming and ahhing means that I think the human will naturally fall into the same natural spe- speech patterns, I think.
2: Yeah, it's just this idea <laughs> of flipping around, like if I get a robocall... I'm irritated, right? Mm. Um, that's my immediate immediate thing now here you're, you're the Robo call is happening on behalf of an actual customer to a place of business. so in that regard, it's different, but i'm I'm curious how businesses and people who work at businesses are going to respond to being basically robo called all the time.
1: Well, if they if it helps them fill in their bookings and make make you know put themselves in the red or in the black instead of the red, I don't think they'll mind. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If if people pick up, I mean, sometimes you might not pick up that oh, it's you might be totally fooled by the AI and think, well, it's a human being. But you might also get this inkling that there's something odd about this human being. To you know, they're very into like, the uncanny very, valley. Exactly. Exactly. And if that's the case um if i'm uh, running a business i might step back and go all right i'll go ahead and book this client but i'm a little bit weirded out by them a little bit nervous yeah. about them whatever right. but whereas now
2: it's announcing it right i mean exactly. that was, that's the point is it's saying hey i'm a robot calling on behalf of bart right. tonight or how, i don't know how it does it but i'm assuming it's something right to that's effect.
1: pretty that's pretty much it exactly and that's that sorry linda
0: and that, that's what I was saying, which is which is that if it's announced and you're getting the business, then I, I should think that would lower any nervousness any concern. It's like, okay, yeah, this is a busy busy person, cool, maybe it's a person who's busy because they have a lot of money to spend, you know because <laughs> they work very hard but also whatever. a lot so. of
1: a lot of businesses would have recurring customers, so the first time it happens, it would be, ooh. But after a few weeks, if, you know, if the same business person is having their AI book their, you know, weekly haircut or whatever, I think it'll very, very quickly become normalized. It's like right. um, when I first used my Apple Watch to buy things in our local village here, it constantly and continuously surprised people. And now as soon as I wander into the store, they're pointing the terminal at my wrist because they know that's what's going to happen. Right. So, they, I think
3: Less
2: what important was quite interesting. Is- Sorry, go, Sorry ahead. go on, Adam. No, no I was going to make a joke, so go ahead.
3: All uh, right. <laughs> uh, what was also interesting in the article was um, that apparently they did manage to tri- trip up the AI, um, and as a consequence, someone else took over. Um, so, it, went, it automatically got through to Google, and someone actually picked the call up to complete the uh, transaction. Uh, but what the other what the person said was what was a bit weird was he wasn't sure that he was then talking to a human oh. <laughs> <laughs> because because the AI is so realistic that right. uh, um, he couldn't tell. And he asked, he said, "Was that a human I was talking to?" And they said, "Yes, it was."
1: <laughs> oh wow. Okay, so it's almost passing the Turing. Well, it's, it's not really the Turing test because. We've Absolutely. constrained it that you know it's only for doing a transaction. So that means it can't possibly be the Turing test because the whole point is yeah. It, said it was very. It was a
3: very restrained test. It was just um, they didn't do the hairdresser one again. Um, yeah. It it was very restricted in what what it was actually doing. But the fact they actually got it to work and work pretty reliably is is quite impressive.
1: And there's so many things that are useful that are constrained. That that I don't think that's a knock against the technology that it's constrained. You know let it roll out into those areas where we're constantly making appointments and things like that and let it do that and let it do that well and then it can expand out later. You know, Maybe order me a pizza as well as booking me a haircut.
3: Yeah, yeah I think one of the things we talked about when we talked about it last time was um, for, for IT people who get called out.
0: Hmm.
3: Um, if they can actually converse with the AI and get some more information about the, the issue that, that is going wrong, Yes. Um, then they may not have to actually go in to actually repair anything.
1: <laughs> I've always thought it would be nice if the computer could talk to me. Well, we're getting a bit more sort of <laughs> Geordie LaForge here, right? I mean, it's one of the things I always found really fun about Star Trek is that everyone else treated the computer like it wasn't human, but Geordie always spoke to the computer like a person, and it generally rewarded him. So maybe, maybe that's where we're headed.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe. I was just more curious. I know, Bart, you have a beard and stuff like that. Mm. Um, a weekly haircut? I never get my hair cut because uh, there's,
1: there's not enough of the left.
2: <laughs> no, I was just joking. You said that you know when people are using it to make their weekly haircut. Appointment, yeah, I, I don't know how, how often like, normal people how hairy people do you know.
1: But I shave my head these days because I'm I'm too thin. So, you know, I'm, I'm going too bald, so I shave my head, which I do do every week. Uh, but I do it myself. Too lazy. Not going to pay someone anyway. Um, Let us move into the legal latest. Uh, Just one, there were other legal stories, but unless they cross a certain threshold, I don't put them into the show notes these days. Um, But I think it is worth noting a $5.1 billion fine that that probably crosses whatever bar you might like to draw. But thankfully, Apple are not the ones in the receiving end. It's Apple's biggest competitor in the mobile market. It is Google. And the problem is that the EU do not like how they are not... Well, they claim to have an open operating system and then proceed to make it not be open at all, which the European Commission considers to be anti-competitive. And they have three specific gripes. Um, Google required manufacturers to pre-install the Google search app and the Chrome browser as a condition of them being allowed access to the Play Store. Uh Google then uh, made payments to certain large manufacturers and mobile networks on the condition that they exclusively installed the Google search app on their devices. So in other words, we'll give you money to block our competitors. That's very Microsoft in the days of IE sort of territory we're wandering into here. And then they prevented manufacturers wishing to pre-install Google apps from selling even a single device running an alternative version of android that was not approved by google so if you you sell a single forked device then you are thrown out of google completely and these do strike me as distinctively anti-competitive so i kind of think europe have a point
2: and wait so the eu says basically when it comes to stuff like this well if you're a company that just doesn't claim to be open you're fine But if you claim to be open and then do these things, we're going to fine you.
1: No, that's not it at all, right? That's not the basis of anti competitiveness, right? So, anti competitiveness is about using your advantage in one market to create an advantage in another. So, Google are using their advantage in mobile OSs to create advantages for themselves in search. So, they're saying you must install our search app, which has nothing to do with Android, if you want to use Android. So, they're using their. Gotcha.
2: Okay, see what you're saying. Yeah,
1: so that's that's antitrust, yeah. and that's why Microsoft... So it's not, it's not
2: about the fact that they were saying you can just have our browser on, or our search engine on your mobile device, it's that it benefits their search business, which is a separate business from their yeah. mobile business.
1: So the reason I, Microsoft got in trouble was because they were using their dominance in the OS market to create a dominance in the browser market by saying to everyone, you must pre-bundle IE if you want to get Windows. And everyone needed Windows, therefore, everyone had to pre-bundle IE. They're also saying, if you sell a single, this is going back decades, uh, you know, Microsoft saying, if you sell a single Linux machine, we won't give you a Windows license. Well, can't sell any Linux machines then, because who, who, which manufacturer could afford not to have Windows licenses? And so this is the same thing. If you want access to the Google Play Store, then you must not do anything that competes with the Google Play Store. So, and, and that is literally anti-competitive. So you're using your dominance well, in one So market.
2: how do they feel about Apple and like in-app purchases in the App Store for Apple? I would imagine they, they feel the same way.
1: They don't because Apple doesn't set the price. The people selling the software set the price, so it's still a market.
0: Is it also the factor that um, Google has such a high percentage of the market in Europe Yes. Both as a search, yeah, both as a search engine and also as a uh, as an OS.
1: Yes, because you can't abuse your monopoly if you don't have one, right? So anti-competitive mm-hmm. only comes in if you have a monopoly in something. You can't be anti-competitive for being a minority player. So something that's perfectly legal for someone with a ten percent market share to do becomes completely illegal for someone with a ninety percent market share to do, and this makes some people crazy because, like, well, that's not fair. If this tiny little company does this, it'd be fine. It's like, yes because they are a tiny little company. That's kind of the point. Okay. Any any other thoughts or will um, we move into the real Apple they, news? They
0: are appealing that as I understand it. Yes, of course. Okay, just to make that clear to people. Okay.
1: Um. Okay, so another thing that caught my eye is some staffing changes at Apple. So we talked um, last month, I think, about uh, Apple having hired a formal chief of artificial intelligence in Google. And everyone sort of was like, eek. And then, you know, Apple sort of went, well, no, the reason he's coming to us is because he doesn't want to be stealing people's privacy. He wants to be doing cool AI that respects people's privacy. It's like, oh, so you mean he was a bad fit in Google? Um, so he's, he's come over to Apple. Well, he's now got a promotion. He's only just in the door, but he is now in charge of a new group which contains the Siri people and the machine learning people all reporting to him. So that sounds like they're putting his skills to very good use mm-hmm i'm also surprised that siri and machine learning were ever separate
2: but maybe that explains Siri's well, intelligence. Still, they still oh. are separate i mean under him just to be clear about that they and they are running in separate divisions with separate teams it's just now they have connective tissue between them where they didn't before at at the at the executive level So you at least have one person who has a vision of what's going on in both places. And I would imagine that then because of his talents and skills and and past work, he'll be able to identify areas and help uh, manage people to where the crossovers are going to be more relevant and more um, frequent you yeah. Know, so he can identify, okay, here's an area where Siri and the machine learning go hand in hand and you should be working together on these projects and, and things like that. But they are still two separate teams.
1: Yeah. So it's good that they're now under one exec at least that gets us Correct. closer to bring yeah, yeah. them together.
2: There, you have one one person who can see the whole vision of these things and where they're crossing over and where it makes sense for them to do more things together and stuff like that.
1: It's kind of stunning that that is news. It just—it amazes me that they were ever kept so separate that the only place they met was under Tim Cook, who has right. many great talents, but AI genius is not one of them.
2: Well, and he's got busy. a lot of other things on his plate, too. As I mean. <laughs> yeah, I hope he's busy. Um, like, I doubt he was micromanaging any of that at any level, you know. Right. Yeah. So it, this it guy's going to all... have a little more vision on a daily basis on what each team is each one of those teams and divisions is doing
0: it could also be um because machine learning has so many other applications other than anything siri does true but apple tend
1: to brand all of their machine learning at siri so when they use machine learning to hint at what Mm -hmm. app we want next they call it siri
2: not true that ahead. go ahead i was just gonna say machine learning inside photos for example isn't has nothing to do with siri
1: Okay, and they never branded that because there's an awful lot of things that have nothing to do with talking to your phone that Apple branded as Siri.
0: True. <laughs> True. But uh, there's other machine learning, uh Face ID, you know, would True. be machine yeah. learning. So, right. so other examples. And it's the entire
1: ML language and set of APIs, of course, which developers use. Right. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, and those APIs are all about opening up the the machine learning technology that's built into the operating system to all kinds of applications in third-party apps right so
1: so i guess siri is a user of the machine learning apis correct yeah okay so there is a very obvious relationship so it does make sense to bring them under one exec but they're not they don't correct. quite overlap yeah. as much as my gut instinct told me initially so i, I guess i was being right. too flippant is what you're saying
2: well there's <laughs> there, there's there's probably a large one-way overlap right there's yes there's a Ton of machine learning inside Siri. Yes, I don't but not know much that Siri and it machine goes learning. the other way around.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah what we what I hope the-
1: Siri has a lot of machine learning.
0: Yeah, we just need the Venn diagram properly positioned there. That's all. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Apple have also hired a chap called Sterling Crispin, who is the developer of CyberPaint, which is one of it's one of the more popular but less excruciatingly expensive uh, VR drawing apps. So this is where you sort of put on your VR headset and create things in sort of pretend 3D space, which they call VR painting. It sounds both exhausting and fun. Uh, but either way, Apple have hired this chap, and, you know, Cyberpaint is a fairly big app in that space, so that's it's an interesting hire. So obviously Apple are serious about the whole AR VR thing. Right, yeah, so... they keep
3: hiring people. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So moving into... We have th- we have just three main stories, and two of them are very related. So before we get into stuff fiscal... Thank goodness we have Linda with us to keep me on the straight and narrow there. Uh, before we get into stuff fiscal, let's get into stuff hardware. Uh, so Apple released updated versions of their MacBook Pros. Basically, more RAM everyone was clamoring for, True Tone displays. The Fancy Pants T2 chip from the iMac Pro comes into these machines... And they also have faster CPUs, Core i9s available, and, uh, you know, basically updated versions of the Touch Bar MacBook Pros. And if you're wondering, so what's happened to the MacBook Escape, as it was uh, colloquially known, the answer is it's gone to a farm. Um, it It is no more. It is out of Apple's product line. Uh, The big controversy, I think, I don't think anyone is like, oh, how dare they put in more RAM and more CPU. I don't think anyone's complaining about that. What people are complaining about is that despite telling us all that there's nothing wrong with the keyboards whatsoever in the existing models, they've completely redesigned the keyboards. Um, They say that they added a membrane underneath the keys to make them quieter. uh, But in some of their backstore manuals in countries other than the United States, there are references to it protecting from dust. And generally speaking, everyone's kind of going, yeah, Apple... Just, just be honest with us and admit the fact that you redesigned them because they were broken. But either way, they have. You know, this is now the third incarnation of this keyboard. Um, I I've had a laptop with the first incarnation for years, and I think they're just fine. The first incarnation, but for, by all accounts, the second incarnation was a bit of a dud. So let's hope the third is a little stronger. Um, And then there was also briefly a gate, throttle gate Mark II, where due to a firmware bug, the uh, core, the Intel, was it just the i9s that were throttling, Adam?
2: I think maybe the i7s also, but I think most people were focused on the i9s.
1: Yeah, because Apple made a big deal about how screaming fast these CPUs are. And then it turned out that in certain situations, they basically throttled themselves back. And everyone assumed it was because of heat. But I think it was actually something to do with a threshold on a voltage bridge somewhere being set too low. And basically the thing drawing too much power and then throttling itself because it was pulling in too much power. But there was no reason to throttle itself. It was just a wrong setting in the firmware.
2: Uh, it It was technically in a lot of the testing, it was behaving in a way that made it look like it was thermal throttling uh. like as the machines would heat up that would kick in but it, again it was due to the voltage like you're saying so
1: yeah because the more too, yeah i mean the heat the comes as an output lead of-
2: to each other happening so people just jumped to the conclusion that it was thermal throttling because of the thinness of the machine and also because apple is using um in order to get through the ram ceiling they had to go with uh non-low power ram which mm. generates more heat and those processors also generate more heat so I mean, I can understand why people jumped to that conclusion as the as the reason.
3: Yeah, but either way, so that's that's like, a, that old the old saying isn't it about two correlations don't make a proof?
2: Yes, <laughs> yeah. Be careful. Well, in, unless you're in the tech media.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Half a correlation well makes the truth. Yeah.
2: Um, I don't yes, that. maybe so.
1: <laughs> Thankfully, I think the the real takeaway here, is, as far as I'm concerned, is that the problem was very quickly d- uh, diagnosed and very quickly patched. I mean, that, that firmware patch was out within a day or two of, of the, the kerfuffle.
2: That's almost the big story because it was a YouTuber that actually broke this and, you know, sort of levied the allegations or at least saw the saw the behavior. I think he mm. did a fairly good job of yeah. not being overly sensational about it. Uh, just saying, hey, I was testing. This is what I've seen. This seems to be a problem. It seems to be this thermal runaway issue. You know, again, all those logical conclusions that I think a lot of people would draw or theories, I guess, is be- probably a better way to put it. And Apple reached out to them and said, no, this this shouldn't be happening and worked with them. And, and that's how they, they got the fix pushed out so quickly. And what's interesting to me about that is that does not seem like the Apple of, you know, two or three Of the years keyboards ago. a few weeks ago, no, right.
0: yeah.
2: true. So
0: yeah, this, there was no lawsuit involved
2: in this one. Yeah, I, I, I think I said weeks ago. I meant two or three years ago.
0: Yeah, or even a decade, or even a decade ago.
1: Yeah. Whereas yeah. I'm saying that I'm saying it's like if you know a few weeks ago they were telling us you know telling us tall tales about keyboards that I don't believe, and now they're working proactively well, that's with this just, guy.
2: <laughs> That's the historic thing of Apple never. Um, under designs anything or misdesigns anything you know they just they recognize areas for improvement and and do that but they're never going to admit that there was a design uh error or flaw they've just improved
1: Uh, yeah that's not their way right no no this is better not because it was bad this is just better (laughs) right
2: that's about as that's about the the most you're going to get out of them
1: now these are the macbook pros these are very much high-end machines are we finally at a stage where the pros are happy with the pro machines again?
2: Uh, I know a lot of pros are super happy with this machine, um, and a lot that we're sort of upset with the, um, you know, the prior generation, especially with the the RAM ceiling. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see over time how batteries perform on these. I haven't I haven't followed up to see if they are living up to the to the battery hype. Or not.
1: Because um, when Apple introduced this physical form factor a year ago, Apple thought they were making a laptop Pro's with a door. And the, the, the highest end of the Pro's responded very badly to those machines.
2: I, I The only other thing I still hear from Pro's now is the ones who want the 17-inch back. I love. that They want machine. a larger display. I um, love that machine. But
1: when I used to be a student, I used to consider it a logable. So basically... I would, you right. know, be home at the weekend and then I would be in university during the week. And I wanted a desktop machine I could bring with me. So a 17-inch MacBook Pro was perfect. But, you know, those
2: days but are the, gone. The interesting thing is that that's not all pros because I know a lot of pros who really like the 13-inch because they like the portability. And it depends – It to me, it really seems to depend on the industry you're in where, like, yeah. video editors or coders will want the big 17-inch luggable screen. They're always wanting, you know, more screen real estate. Whereas, you know, sometimes people like digital photographers, pro photographers, they want more portability because they're out in the field and they want something that's light and spelt and, you know, so, but they still want the power to be able to process images, which is interesting. And some of those guys do want larger screens as well, but, you know, it, it seems to vary. So I think that's part of Apple's challenge is they, they have to create a pro machine for so many different Styles of quote unquote pro. pro and finding that balance is really, I think, a tricky thing. Yeah, is the f- there
0: is is there anybody at all who still makes something as large as the seventeen inch? Because it seems to me, that of the oh, people yeah. I know, oh, they've Dell gone to do. external Dell. Does okay? Yeah, PC a lot of gaming, people have laptops, gone.
2: To- there's a ton of them.
0: Okay.
1: And the reason uh, is because those PC gaming laptops, because of how hot they run thermally, they have to be physically huge anyway so as not to melt. So if you're going to have right. a physically huge case, it's going to look really dumb with a small screen. Right. So just shove a 17-inch monitor onto it. And uh, particularly some of the crappier Dells, like, yeah, they're 17 inches, but they have far less pixels than a 12-inch MacBook.
2: And they, they were also were earlier to have the faster processors and the more RAM, again, because they can have bigger fans and they can, you know, there's less design. They're also much heavier and much thicker. Um, but that's a, often a complaint that the pros levy against Apple's current design. Just like, I don't care if it's super thin or light. I want a big screen and lots of RAM and lots of flash storage and lots of, you know, they want. More and they're willing, and more importantly, I think a lot of them would relish having it be doubly as thick and have double the ba- the battery life. I think Even they if think that it weighed that. twice as much and was twice as thick. I think they think that, but I also think
1: that they the, the their backs are thanking them all the time when they don't realize it. And <laughs> I also think that the fact that they don't sound like a jet engine taking off, like some of the the crappier Dell machines do, is it, probably. They don't, you know. I think there's a lot of people who don't realise how good they have it sometimes. Just condescending of, of me, the problem, know.
3: you know. I think part of the problem is is using the pro moniker at all, right? Because I mean, a professional can be, as you've already stated, very different. Uh, you can have professionals who actually don't use ultra power in their machines. Um, you might get professionals who who want something that's not particularly high-powered, but is very small and uh, easily portable. Um, and so Apple are never going to please everybody, are they? Because right. there's no. as big a bigger variety of professionals as there are of all the other users. But I think they're describing the machine, not the user,
1: when they call it a Mac right, Pro. Because what, the, what you're setting there is an expectation of the price point said, and the power that these things put out.
3: Yeah, yeah, maybe so. I just think people mix those two words up, pro and professional, and and mix up professional people with pro users. Yeah, right. How many CEOs? I get very confused when I hear people talking about it because I'm not convinced they're always talking about the machine.
1: Well, I think a lot of people get very confused. Yeah, because there are a lot of people. There are a lot of CEOs who carry around a MacBook Pro because, well, I'm a big important CEO. I'm a pro. It's like, yeah, you what you need is a twelve-inch MacBook. Right. It will serve you much, <laughs> yes. much, 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 much better. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah there, is, there is one, and that's kind of the point, right? Is there some confusion with that, you know, throwing that word pro on there? And I think there definitely is. I think, you know, a lot of people have, quote, unquote, Mac Pro machines who probably don't require a pro. Uh, But they think they do for exactly what you're talking about, Bart. And so that does get Apple into a little bit of trouble because then people try to apply that moniker and go, well, I'm a pro user and I want a large screen and a large battery and I don't care about weight and blah, blah, blah. But yet the flip side of it is there's some other quote unquote pro person that is like, well, I need it to be super light and portable and still powerful enough. And, you know, so.
1: I mean, I'm an IT professional by trade. Literally, I make my money at IT. And my laptop, and I'm excruciatingly happy with it, is a 12-inch MacBook.
2: Well, yeah. I know a lot of I lo- I know a lot of quote-unquote pro users who really love MacBook Airs, and that's the machine for them because they like the ports, the few extra ports, and the portability. Yeah. So what kind
3: of port? Some of- so uh, it's almost interchangeable, isn't it, pro with high-end Right. The way that Apple use Pro. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I agree. It's more to do with the power of the machine and the, uh, and the memory and the, all those sort of things um, mm-hmm. to enable people who need all that power
2: to do that, to do whatever they do. The other thing that a lot of pros get confused by is that they need a portable when what they really need is a desktop.
1: Yeah, the iMac uh, Pro yes. is what they actually
2: yes. need. Yeah. yeah. So the I other see thing is.
0: Some of those who go back and forth to work in an office uh, hmm. can always use an external monitor and a good one, you know, so they yes. would get even, even you know, better screen uh, appearances, especially for video and photos and things like that.
1: Well, that, that's a big part of uh, you know, a lot of people in our office. So, you know, I'm a sysadmin by trade and we have a lot of people who who have small laptops, but big screens on their desks. And so they can take their computer with them. But when they're at their desk coding or whatever, they have all that screen real estate. That's, it's a very, very common model. Um, and especially with modern virtualization and stuff, you t- you actually don't need to carry your CPU with you. You can leave that sitting in your on-premise cloud or whatever. Um, like I run Windows, I run, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff on Windows 10, but I don't run Windows 10. I just remote desktop into a VM. And it doesn't matter how yeah. much or how little power my little MacBook has because it's not actually doing the work. The VM is doing the work and it's sitting in a data
3: center. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, same for me. Um, almost all of our estate is virtual machines
1: now. So, okay. Right, any any final thoughts on these machines? Um, I, do, I guess the only thing it's I'll just super add
2: exciting. is exciting. I mean, they're they're great machines for a lot of people. Expensive, but they've always been expensive. Yeah. And I mean, the pricing is actually really great on the base models because you know, as, as Apple does, they upgrade these things and they keep the base. Starting pricing the same, so you know, and the the default configurations are really pretty nicely configured. I think for most people's applications. So, I mean, if you're in the market, if you've been in the market for a new MacBook Pro, I would say now's the time to, to buy one, for sure. Yeah. But, and, but if my- I was gonna, the
3: thing that really frustrates me is if I was going to buy one, and I'm probably not because they're probably outside what I'm prepared to pay, but. Even if I was, I'd want an SSD in it, and that automatically pushes up the price. Well, they only come—they only come with it's SSDs. It's a bit frustrating. I thought I'd, they I'd like were like all SSD. SSDs.
1: I didn't think they yeah. came with spinny discs.
2: Yeah, do they not? No, I don't. Nope, I don't know how you'd physically put one in. Uh right. My uh, my apologies. I yeah, I mean the the, the dilemma with Apple is that the one thing you have to do is you do have to buy the storage and the memory that you want for forever.
0: Yes, yeah, you so the
2: You have to have the cash to not slouch. So if you need a terabyte, you've got to plunk down the te- the cash for a terabyte. You can't get the, get a five twelve and then hope to add more later, unless you're going to do it with an external and you're okay with that. Yeah, and with Thunderbolt yeah. three uh, USB C, I mean,
1: those you you actually can drive. Actually, the other thing that I have in the show notes that we forgot to mention is that Apple also unveiled Blackmagic eGPUs for the MacBook Pro. <laughs> Because with those um. USB C slash Lindaboard three ports, you can drive just about anything from those machines.
2: Yeah. You're just carrying around extra stuff. So I mean your expansion is all through USB C in, in those machines. You're not opening them up, you're not putting anything in there. So it's just buying advice I have to remind people about is make sure when you're pricing it out, you price out the machine that you want. Because a lot of people keep those machines for four or five years or longer. It's like buy the machine that you're going to want four years from now because you can't upgrade it
3: you and know? that's to be having, a- having said that having said that I mean I'm running my currently I'm sitting in front of my 21 inch iMac hmm. uh, which is running off an external SSD <laughs> which is right.
1: a perfectly valid thing to do I mean Th- those these yeah. modern connectors are effectively, <laughs> I mean, it's your motherboard externalized. Like th- these things are extremely fast buses, and the other thing is because it's r- it's not just solid state storage in these devices, it's extremely fast solid state storage. It's extremely close to the motherboard because it's like soldered onto it. So yes. the RAM is nowhere near as important because swapping to hard disk isn't it isn't that killer that it was in the days of spinny hard disks logically far away from the cpu this this is really really fast even the quote-unquote disc space is actually really close to the cpu and really fast so it's actually okay to get buying a little bit less ram because swapping isn't the killer it used to be so you know the rules are a bit different these things are much more like ipads than they are like traditional pcs and i'm not sure everyone understands that when they look at the bare specs
0: that's a good point good point
1: okay so now for the rest of this show let's get fiscal (laughs) So we'll do it in chronological order. The first thing to happen is that Apple had their big Q3 2018 earnings call because, of course, Apple quarters and calendar quarters don't line up. So as per usual, Apple have their press release, and that press release has the usual little one-page summary, which is always interesting to have a little scan over. And I should have opened this tab up before I moved us over into the story. Typical. Um, so it's, it's the data summary is always the fun part, or it's a bit I always look at anyway. So... On the whole, if you sort of look at revenue year over year, what you basically find is that everywhere in the world, Apple made more money this year than they did this time last year. And if you average it for planet Earth, you get up 17%. Their worst performance is up 7% in Japan, and their best performance is up 20% in the Americas. Not bad. Um, In terms of products, then, it's a mostly positive story. But there is a little bit of a hitch. So, on the whole, Apple shipped 17% more stuff than they did this time last year. Which is an odd metric, but that's the metric Apple use. Um, And the biggest increase by a country mile is other products. Which, I think, reading between the lines, is AirPods and Apple Watches. Um. Mm-hmm. Even here in Ireland, which is not exactly known as the tech hub of the world, the amount of AirPods I see each and every single day is stunning. Those things are selling like hotcakes. And I am seeing ever more random people in stores wearing Apple watches. It's, they're, neither of those are nerd products, even here in Ireland, where we tend to be slow to adopt things.
2: Interesting note from the call from Tim McCook on AirPods is that Apple is still selling them as fast as they can make them.
1: For a product that's been out for over a yeah. year now, that's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that's way up is services, uh, which is again vague, but I think that means Apple Music is doing well, uh, which is fine.
0: Well, yeah, and yeah, the App Store, cloud. yeah, yes. iCloud, yes. Apple Care, a whole lot goes under that that heading.
1: Yeah, and iPhone also fine um, in terms of you know it's it's, it's also nicely up. Mm-hmm.
2: It, it that's fine depending upon your perspective. It, I think it's doing very well for the maturity of of what it is. Yeah. Um, but I mean, if you're really and analyzing the numbers, if you're an analyze the numbers person, sales are basically basically flat. Revenues are up because they have a higher ASP with the iPhone ten, um, right. and the yeah. iPhone eight. Eight if I was a, if, if I
1: was a, a one of these people who make their money off the stock market, I would be thinking to myself: This is a mature market that's many years old. The, the, the room for growth is not in more numbers. The room for growth is in selling people more expensive phones. So I would look mm-hmm. at these numbers and go,
2: "Yep, this is sustainable. This is the way yeah. we approach this market now." I, I'm just pointing out. I mean, we're, if people really went and looked at these numbers, uh, which they might do, it's mm. they're. There's not huge growth, right? It's sales are in terms of unit sales are relatively flat. I think they were up like point four million or something like that, um, yeah. which isn't insignificant, but it's not you know it's not like what we're well, seeing. Well, yeah, with given Apple right. So
1: given that it's Apple, of course. So what have we got in terms of uh, units? We have forty, forty one million, three hundred thousand versus forty one million, a year right. ago. So I mean, yeah, yeah, it's a few hundred thousand difference.
2: But they're well, making more money off of those, so the numbers the numbers are good. And you're right from a from a pure stock investor perspective, this is great, right? Especially after we've had years and years of of sales declines with with iPhones, so it's good. But let's not get crazy. It's <laughs> iPhone is not the future of where Apple's revenues are going to be coming from, and it's going to continue to slowly uh, dwindle. And you know, it's not going to drop. On, it's not going to drop out. There's no time cause for panic or anything, but. It's well, that's right. Future.
1: So growth only goes so far, right? Eventually, sure. you become so big that you stop growing, but it still remains a huge part of Apple's income.
2: Oh, even it's if the biggest part of their income by by a wide margin, almost more than double, I think. Mm. Still, fifty one percent, something like that.
0: Yeah, a couple couple comments about just to to broaden the context a little mm. bit when you when you look at um, and I think this was in the. Um, the piece that you did from Jason's Jason Snell's uh, uh, records or his, his site where he goes through the numbers. You had a huge jump when the iPhone six came out, when they first came out with a larger screen Yeah, and some people, some people go, well, it's been down since then. And then they correlate that that has to do with the market, the smartphone market itself being saturated. Mm-hmm. There's some truth to the smartphone market being saturated, but from Apple's perspective, there are still a lot of areas on the planet, and I'm thinking Africa, India, to name a couple of specific ones, mm. that are not, you know, the Apple's market share is tiny, and Apple certainly can take more market share in the in those kinds of developing markets, um, as well as some others like China, uh, and perhaps the U.S. And, and 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 others. So taking market share would help apple and so i wouldn't say that this is a a dwindling market adam i would differ with you on that um unless you're talking about the market as a whole i don't think for apple it's necessarily dwindling uh some will depend on their expanding the product line going with like the se phones
2: that's
1: important for the markets that are left to be conquered i guess
2: correct a lot of yeah. yeah I guess I'm saying dwindling in terms of I expect the sales numbers to continue overall to remain relatively where they are. Um, In other words, you know, whatever Bart said, I forget what the revenue number for this quarter is uh, for iPhone. Um, But that number is not going to it's not going to move up or down very much. Apple's going to be just on this plan to keep it consistently at that level for as long as possible. Okay,
0: I would. I would take a differing view than yours. Um, okay. And the revenue, even for this quarter, was up twenty percent, which mm-hmm. is considerable. That um, is
2: significant, yes.
0: Yeah, and and also remember where we are in the year. They've yet to come out with. I mean, we're we're prior to the quarter when we're going to get our new phones. So, Perfect and a lot point. will depend on what what they mm-hmm. come up with. So, I I um, I'm a little right. more optimistic than you. But okay, yeah. but looking <laughs>
1: looking to the future, right? If we, I mean, one of the things I love, I always link to Jason Snell stuff because his graphs go back a few years, so you can see things in a bigger context. And that hump on the iPhone six, it's still obviously a deviation from the average. And if you don't zoom far enough out, you make silly conclusions. So that's kind of why I love Jason stuff. But sort of me projecting it forward, the way I'm thinking is you have two factors that are going to counterbalance each other. So as the phone market becomes more stable the amount of new cool stuff that apple could possibly put out every year is going to go down because it's not going to be the place where all the change is happening right we don't get new macs every year with shiny new stuff because it's just too mature of a market the technology isn't evolving at that rate anymore it's, it's settled down and that's going to happen to phones so that's going to slow we're going to keep our phones for three four years instead of one or two years so that will slow sales But then there's still all these markets available in places like India and Africa where they can speed up sales. But if they can manage to just balance those two out, they'll be doing pretty well, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't make you know astronomical expectations, but this, this is a balance that I hear between the lines on every conference call because uh, – and this time I believe it was Tony Saganaki came up and said, uh, well, what about the, the market slowing and the sales cycle slowing and so on and so mm-hmm. forth? And, um, and Tim comes back and he goes, this is an excellent market to be in, and he has consistently sounded optimistic. Um, about the market, about the market for smartphones. Yeah. Um, on the on, on the one hand, that's his job. And just as it's the analyst, I mean, it is the analyst job to be a skeptic in the same way that your doctor or your lawyer wants to protect you, you know, from the downside, they're trying to protect investors. Um, and so that's the analyst job. And then it's the CEO's job to talk up what's there. But I, you know, watching Tim over years, I just, I'm very hesitant to presume that he's you know, overstating things.
1: And I mean, so, he, oh no, he's not allowed to say whatever he wants on an earnings call because he is under SEC rules. He has to keep it factual. He can he can give the most optimistic interpretation of the facts, but he's got to stick to the facts.
0: Correct, correct. But if he but when they're talking about something in the future, there are no facts, right? And when yes. they're talking about a future mar- future market. Um, Right, you know, but he then, has to then, give then, honest he,
1: appraisals, right? He, if he has internal cool. numbers that project so much, he can't just pull something out of his, you know what, and give a different number. He he does have to keep it as factual that's, as he knows it.
0: That's true, and I don't think it would be his nature to to do something astronomical. But there, but there, there have been other CEOs and other corporations <laughs> who have done that, and yeah, witness Enron is, is the Ooh, classic yeah. example. Yes, but the, he know, ended so. up in
1: prison though, so.
0: Yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs>
1: True. I'm not dancing with the stars, if memory serves, which is bizarre. Um, yeah. I was going to go somewhere, and then I went and derailed my entire train of thought there with that one. <laughs> <Enron>. Sorry. <laughs> yes, now I remember where I was going. So a potential glimpse into the future of the iPhone is the iPad, right? The iPad has gone through that cycle where people still love iPads, and Apple still sell a lot of iPads, but people keep their iPads for a long time. And for a while, what that resulted in was quarter after quarter of contraction. And everyone was like, where's the bottom? Where's the bottom? Where's the bottom? Well, we now know where the bottom is because iPad sales have stabilized. So that cycle seems to have run its course. And we now seem to have landed at what is a stable long-term iPad market. That's my interpretation of the numbers anyway. Mm -hmm. Linda, do you want to disagree with me on that or am I talking sense?
0: Um, you, you, You are talking sense. I still, I'm not convinced how do I want to say this? I would still be more optimistic than you and Adam both, <laughs> uh, both on the iPad as well as the iPhone. And again, I, I'm I'm doing that based on having listened to Tim over the years. And I think the, I think one of the things that happens with the iPad is, is that it becomes a um, notebook replacement in, for yeah. many people. And I know a lot of people, including myself for whom that's not what it is because I'm so entrenched in using the Mac,
2: hmm. and
0: yet as you see the younger generation come up, they may be more inclined to go with tablets generally, um, and and Apple's going to have a significant share there, a bigger share than they have had for um, uh, for laptops, you know, for for uh, computers. Yeah. So. Yeah. So so and and again, I hear Tim say this time after time after time. And there's they keep moving them into the enterprise, which is one of the many places where they would grow. I mean, there's there's competition for sure. Chromebooks in the education market for one. Um, but yeah. so I'm not, I'm, I'm more optimistic than either of the two of you, both on iPhone and on iPad. I don't want to and, sound and pessimistic
1: because I'm a huge fan of, uh, I've been a believer in the iPad all along. I, I mean, I haven't been the one losing my hair while most of the stock market has about the iPad numbers. I just think it, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's matured. It's stabilized. I don't think that's a negative thing because it's stabilized at 11.5 million units per quarter. That's not right. a bad place I to guess- be.
0: I, I guess I'm I'm the same way with the iPad as we were prior to the iPhone six. I think there could be another jump up, a gap up, like what okay. we had with the iPhone six. So I'm not projecting that there's going to be one. I have absolutely no inside <laughs> knowledge, sure, sure. despite where I live. But but um, it's an intuition. Okay. Well, the
1: MacBook so Pro is an interesting your... question.
3: Go on, Nick. Uh-huh. Uh, here's an interesting question that this this article um, from Joseph Snow doesn't ask: Is the Stability of the iPad market being supported by the drop in the Mac
2: sales. You're so just are made people going I was about to iPads rather than Macs? what yeah. I, I was just looking for the for the graphs of it.
0: Yeah, cannibalization. Right. Yeah, is and the, Apple don't yeah, mind that, right?
1: Me. Apple are happy to cannibalize themselves. I think Steve Jobs is lying. Also, well, if someone's going to cannibalize the iPad, I want to be the one to do it. Hence the iPhone. And right. I don't think there's any doubt that particularly the iPad Pro is cannibalizing Macs. No doubt about Mm -hmm. it. But having said that, I I mean, it give us a good segue into the one very, very obvious piece of bad news. So the most optimistic way of looking at the Mac is that revenue is only down 5%. Units, on the other hand, are down 13%. Now, you can immediately counteract some of that by saying in the year-ago quarter, it was pretty much a full quarter of the brand-new MacBook Pros. This time, we've only had like a week or so of the new MacBook Pros in the quarter, if even. So... It's not quite a fair compare, but at the same time, it's hard to be particularly optimistic about the Mac market at the moment.
0: Well, again, they haven't updated. I mean, they've just updated the MacBook Pros, but the Mac Pro, which probably is going to be tiny in terms of units, uh, the Mac Pro itself doesn't come out until next year. The Mini hasn't been updated. To what twenty fifteen? Am I, I you know? So right. there's a number of Macs that Correct. have not been, mm-hmm. you know, and w- what we don't know is how many first time users. They always on the earnings calls. They always tout the percentage of first time Mac buyers. And uh, in, in China is one of the markets where I hear I hear that considerable uh, consistently.
1: You see, I'm pessimistic not because of these numbers. I think these numbers represent these numbers are a symptom. Uh, of what is the underlying problems is that Apple don't appear to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time, and while they're doing a great job with the iPhone line and a decent job with the iPad line and an okay job with the Pro Mac line, the ordinary Macs for regular people are languishing. They're, they're. Hmm. And I mean, and I, ex- I don't think it's reasonable to have a yearly cycle on the Mac. The technology just isn't evolving that quickly, so I don't think that's what we should expect. But a bi- yearly cycle seems reasonable, or at least a tri- yearly cycle. But right. yeah, you've got to get at least that, and they're not.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, the the walking and chewing gum at the same time seems to me to be the issue from what I from what I see. I mean, I'm not. I don't have any in, inside information, and it would be interesting to be a fly on the wall, mm. someplace inside Apple to have a sense of why uh, these have been languishing for so long.
2: I think they're still trying to figure out for a number of reasons what that cycle is from their consumer perspective. Yeah. Um, And which models fit into which cycles and and, and things like that. Um, Especially with things like the Mac Mini, it's way, way overdue. I think there's Mm. no one can argue that... It's way, way overdue for a a refresh. I have a feeling that part of the dilemma with the Mac Mini is what we were talking about a little bit earlier, which is that iPad dilemma, right? A lot of the same consumers that are interested in or buying Mac Minis are also maybe replacing a lot of their either desktop or mobile computing with tablets and smartphones as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think for certain machines, like especially the Pro machines, you're gonna to have to do with cycles that are a little bit more frequently. I agree with you, Bart. I don't think it's a yearly cycle. Maybe it's 18 months, maybe it's 24 months. It's probably more like 18, in my opinion, for well, pro for the, machines. For but the pro consumer, machines, you're right, consumer Adam. machines can probably be more like 24, 36 months.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and I, the, the iMac Not
2: Pro, basically, the, yeah,
1: so the iMac Not Pro doesn't need to be done every two years, it can be done every 36 months. That's fine, but right, the iMac Pro. And the Mac Pro and the MacBook Pro, they do need to keep up because they're, whole, they're for people who really care about being on the bleeding edge, whereas most right. of us aren't that and we don't need that and it's, it's not helpful. So Apple should, you know, focus on the things that are important. But I, I don't know, I, I just get this horrible feeling of neglect on the Mac. And maybe it's because behind the scenes they're working frantically to get everything switched over to A-series processors and the Mac is about to have a massive renaissance.
0: Ah, there you go.
2: I think if they and I honestly think if they even with all the machines, if they got into like they do with iPhones and iPads, some sort of regular cycle and that cycle might even be, you know, every 36 months you have a sort of major uh, design, you know, what a lot of people would call sort of a tick tock cycle, hmm. where it's there, you know, major design changes with new ports or changing ports or whatever they're going to do and then about every 18 months you're just doing spec bumps that that feels like sort of the right thing to me
1: the problem is um, that uh, i think that's what apple have used to do but the the, the problem is that they're dependent on intel and um, i recently heard right. an engineer mm-hmm. describe intel have gone from tick tock to tick tick boom right <laughs> Because Intel no, are I, not getting their CPUs uh, out on time. Intel are off they, their but TikTok. But they're still
2: putting out updated CPUs, and and especially on the Pro lines, people still care about them, right? I mean, it's not like the i9 just showed up. But it's, it's late. It's been around for a little while. No, but right?
1: the, 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 and the, the other thing is Intel get them out, but they don't really get them out because Apple need them in volume, and Intel they sort of only get them I7s, out for small manufacturers.
2: The point is, is they could have been updating a little more frequently, and I think pros respond to that. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm sort of arguing both sides here because I think I think they are neglecting the Mac. But at the same time, I think one of the reasons is because the Intel stuff is beyond their control and Intel, Intel haven't been living up to the, the... I mean, I'm not sure it's a policy, but it was certainly the promise that you had this TikTok cycle from Intel and Moore's Law and all this kind of stuff. And they managed to keep it up for decades, but... They have not kept it up recently, and it's very confusing for the PC industry because no. they haven't told everyone to expect it not to keep up, but they haven't kept up.
2: And this is why we're going to um, be getting some some versions of some Apple desktops and laptops with uh, Apple design processors at some point.
1: And also the Macs Apple are updating are the ones which, in terms of their hardware, are a lot more iOS-like, a lot more iPad-like than um, you know traditional PC-like. Because these little 12-inch MacBooks and those new MacBook Pros, they're much closer in their design and implementation to an iOS device than they are to a traditional and, PC. Uh,
0: With a toolbar, too.
1: Yeah, which is literally yeah. an iOS device.
2: Yep. Yep. I don't know. It has to be such a dilemma for Apple, though, too. You know, I, I this comes up a lot where people are like, well, Apple's neglecting the Mac, Apple's neglecting the Mac. Um, the thing about it is, is again, getting back to the quarterly numbers, if you look at where the revenues are all coming from, that's a very small part of their business so yeah. it also does get a little bit hard you know and this leads into that walking and chewing gum at the same time they have to kind of figure out this thing because the reality is is like they don't make most of their money off of backs anymore at all yeah You know, so it's like how much resources and how much attention do you pay for that? And, you know, we pointed out the Mac business was down, but it's still a pretty healthy business. You know, they're selling four to five million Macs a quarter, depending upon the quarter and the cycle and and things like that. And they've been doing that for a really, really long time and they've been totally fine and they make a lot of money off of them. So, you know, from Apple's perspective, it's like, well, what's the incentive for us to update these things more frequently? Because they're actually doing just fine and they're selling the way they've always sold and... And it's all right.
1: Well, and the thing is, if in September we get a new a new iMac and a new twelve-inch MacBook, then my criticism pretty much goes away. Um, right. The, the Mac Mini may well do an Airport Extreme and just vanish, but you know, if...
0: uh, uh, Ming shi <laughs> uh, Kuo, who uh who is an analyst who is has an excellent track record, is on record with saying that there will be a new Mac Mini for what it's worth. Yeah. Uh, in the fall, so we'll, we'll see if he knows
2: in their lineup in some form they can neglect it as they've proven for a really really long time <laughs> but clearly it's can, yes. machine clearly can it is a important machine in their lineup and i think they're well aware that it's an important machine in their lineup
1: as i say two months from now we may we may have like they're basically three new machines away from me having a completely different opinion on how they're doing on the mac and the thing is because they're so secretive that you know what feels like neglect to us is just you know oh just have a little bit more patience Bart. you know oh ye of little faith <laughs>
2: how much time <laughs> yeah. do we got Do we want to get into the machine that most people tell me they're, they're really upset that Apple isn't updating the pro, the five people on the planet who we need one. No, it's not, it's not a Mac. It's the, it's the iPad mini.
0: Oh,
1: but I don't, I don't, oh, yeah. I think with the, with <laughs> with
2: the bigger fablety phones, I'm not
1: convinced that that is such an important device anymore.
2: Again, this is a totally different market than the people on this panel that we're talking about. Um, there are a ton, a ton, a ton of people who love that form factor, love that size, and are very, very upset. I hear from them daily, believe me, in many okay. emails. And I'm personally surprised by it as well because I will do all the same arguments. Well, this is why. I give them the why. They don't care. It's just <laughs> like if Apple had a new iPad mini out right now, I would buy it immediately. Yeah. And it's a it's a lot of people from what I hear. And it's you know more on the consumer side of things. Um, they're the people that don't want a huge, large phone. They don't want to spend the money on a huge, large phone. Um, they want a small tablet.
1: Yeah, and they are very popular. Um, that's true. Yeah. Uh, just before we move on to the last story, just a few other little things to say that uh, during the chit-chatty part of the earnings call, we also learned that Apple Pay has topped um, a billion transactions in Q3 2018. And the projection is that Apple Pay will make up half of all contactless payments by 2020. And I guess related stories are that Apple Pay is rolling out in Germany. It's coming to CVS, 7-Eleven in America soon. And you can get Chase ATMs will have Apple Pay support in 16,000 terminals around the U.S. So it's kind of nice to see Apple Pay continuing to evolve. And Adam, whenever I hear you talking about it on your show, it just astonishes Mm -hmm. me how far behind America is on contactless payment. Yeah,
2: we still are. I mean... I still can't, there's still many, many places that even have the contactless stuff that I can't use it, and it's mostly I think retailers not updating their their equipment
1: As a European, that just doesn't exist to us here right? If the terminal does contactless it does contactless, it does Google Pay and Apple Pay, there is no, the concept of a store owner deciding which contactless to support is batshit, oops, that's not the word I meant to say, bat poop crazy um (laughs) I try to censor myself for crazy instead of the other word. Um, <laughs> but, you know, over here, it's basically if you're contactless, you're contactless. Because behind the scenes, all the APIs are actually the same. They're one-time credit card numbers. And it actually takes right. effort to support Google Pay and not Apple Pay. And whatever messed up way the market in America is, the fact that there are stores that take Google Pay but not Apple Pay, that's an active attempt by the stores what? To, to, be,
2: not, to be dumb. Well, it's not, and it's not Google Pay. It's Samsung Pay, and I can explain why that is. And again, it's an equi- it's an equipment thing. The reason it's an equipment thing is, is the U.S. S- runs mostly and still runs mostly on magnetic stripe, <laughs> um, and so it's, and it's a lot of the retailers who are not swapping out their magnetic stripe machines. And Samsung Pay has a technology that they actually do contactless through the magnetic stripe reader, oh, so yeah. it is just a simple software thing. Um, I forget the name thing, of the... It? It, yeah, yeah. I forget the name of the... No, I mean, it, the the phone actually sends out a signal that pretends to be... That's what I mean. So like, hard as run. if you it's ran open. the magnetic stripe through the magnetic stripe reader on the side and it does, quote-unquote, contactless. And so that's where and it's frustrating every time i hear it but i know why and it's they haven't swapped out their terminals for new ones because it's costly and expensive and especially smaller retailers they don't want to invest the money they're going to wait until their machines break or they have to do the upgrade um you know at some point the um the credit card companies are are forcing their hands so it's starting to be where um because of the security reasons um uh, Visa and Mastercard, and those guys are just saying, "Look, you've got to have new terminals, and you've got to support yeah. contactless." So for, that's what it's going to take.
0: Yeah, for what it's worth, I think it varies a lot from spot to spot because most of the places where I shop take Apple Pay without any problem, um, yep. and and even at at Maxstock where we were, we're in a we're in a relatively small town. Uh, it's admittedly a Chicago suburb, but a pretty far out suburb. The vending machines at the at the um, community college where we met they take Apple Pay. So many of the places, and even uh, a tiny retailer or a hairdresser that I used to work with uh, had her Square enabled for Apple Pay. So I'm finding more and more places that do, in fact, take Apple Pay rather than the other way around.
1: Yeah, here it's just 100%. uh, Like, it's just everywhere. If you take credit card, you take Apple Pay here. There is no one who doesn't have chip and pin in this country. And I have not seen a terminal that doesn't do both chip and pin and NFC... I can't remember the last time I came across the terminal and They
3: didn't do both.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's a true a yeah. Sorry. Go
3: ahead. I, I was just um, <laughs> I was just going to quote a little bit of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, actually, because it makes me think of that, and that's the bit where it says, uh, "You just have to bang the rugs together, guys." <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's to get fire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. how it feels because over over here it's everywhere, like like
2: yeah. Bart says.
1: It's yeah. Ubiquitous. And every time I hear you talk about Adam, I just think to myself, "Wow, Ireland are ahead of the curve on this one." It
2: Amazing. is. It is getting better, but I mean, like for example, I'm. Can you guys use it at the pump? Because everywhere, Adam. No, no. When I say everywhere, I,
1: I mean everywhere.
2: There is yeah. nowhere that takes credit card that does not do chip and, and pin. That's one of the most frustrating areas for me because I can't tell you. I have probably had my card skimmed, and I check every time, and I look at the janky, you know, credit card swiper, but. Uh, I think I've had my cards compromised at least twice, maybe three times at a gas pump. Wow. so
1: Yeah, no, we we don't use the magnetic stripe here. That that does not happen, right? It's it's all chip and pin, and they're all NFC terminals
2: because they did the two together. Oh no, I take it back. One one of the times was at a um, at a uh, parking lot, you know, paid parking lot terminal. Mm-hmm. So
1: okay, um, the. Next, so a few days after the earnings call, uh, probably because the earnings call went pretty well, um, Apple's stock crossed a both completely arbitrary and meaningless line, and at the same time, it's a significant milestone. So Apple became the first U.S. Com- publicly traded U.S. company to have a trillion-dollar market valuation. So what does that mean? It means that if you take the price of Apple's shares per share, multiply it by the number of shares in existence, you get a number that is bigger than a trillion. Or at least you did for a while. You
2: and still
1: do. You still do. Okay, I know it went down yeah. below it again, but it's back up above it. Uh, and the, it was inevitable that sometime soon, one of the big tech companies was going to cross that rather arbitrary line. And the question was, would Apple be first? The answer is now yes. Um. On the one hand, not a big story, because really does you know if you're a few, a few million above or below that imaginary line, what difference does it make? But on the other hand, it is a nice pure coup for Apple, I guess. So I'm not really sure how I feel about it, but uh, Linda, maybe you, maybe you can give me some context how we should think about this.
0: Uh, no, I think you basically have nailed it, and I think Tim's uh, letter. To the employees, the, the, which you've linked to in the show notes uh, at Mac Rumors, was was very well stated. I mean, it's it is a result of the work that they have done over years and years and years. Um, yeah, I've seen good articles. I saw uh, an article from the um, financial press from market watch specifically where they talked to you offline but i will mention it where they specifically mentioned that the credit for doing this well goes to tim and they talked about you know some of the history and his management style and so on so it's a it's it's a it's a definitely a feather in their cap it gets a lot of good pr and pr is worth something it's not just a matter of uh I mean, on the one hand, it doesn't mean anything in terms of whether it's, you know, like three pennies below one trillion or four pennies above. I mean, that becomes arbitrary, but um, but it, it is significant because the amount of press that it gets, the amount of attention and the amount of respect and and um, just the notability of it.
3: Yeah. What, what I found yeah. amazing was um, when I, we were talking about this on Essential Apple, and uh, there was a BBC article on it. And um, it has got a, a, an infographic showing the market, uh, the capital. Re- the, oh, what am I trying to say?
1: Market capitalization.
3: Yeah. yeah. How, how much? How much Apple was worth at each stage? So for the iPod, um, yeah. and I think that was six billion at the time.
2: Okay, uh, and then yeah. the
3: iPhone okay. and the iPad and the, and, and just when you see it all represented in a small infographic like that, you realise just how fast it's been. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it yeah. really isn't very long ago that they were worth 6 billion and now suddenly it's a trillion. So,
1: And a point uh, I've seen uh, made amazing. is that so Apple have reached this trillion dollar market capitalization and they've done so despite having a very small price earnings ratio. So if Apple's shares were valued <laughs> at a reasonable level, they would have ploughed through a trillion ages ago. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, it's very. It is very interesting when you look at the at the at the PE ratio, and that's um that also has been something that Tim has he's consistently said, the stock is undervalued. The stock is undervalued. So,
1: yeah, and they've been buying a bunch of it back, uh, which is quite right. clever of them, I think. All in all. Um, and uh, Tim's letter you mentioned yeah because I have it in the show notes but I actually thought Tim's letter was really well written and uh, Tim's letter sort of again states the the Tim Cook theory on the stock market he basically says you you run Apple so that they make the best stuff possible and as a result Apple stock will do well you don't run Apple to do well on the stock market and then somehow imagine that as a result you get good products because that won't work and I, I sort of think yeah Tim you've got it right and a lot of companies don't do it that way and they should
0: Excellent. And also I have to, Steve, he takes, I mean, I, I shouldn't say he takes that from Steve because he could have had it independently, but Steve had the same philosophy.
1: I think it's why so. they two got on. I, I think, I think that's why it's why those two made such a good partnership because yeah. they shared that philosophy despite being very, very different personalities.
2: Yeah, I, just, I agree. I just caution people. I you, you have exactly the right sentiment and I believe that Tim Cook believes what he's saying and it's, wholly ingrained into Apple's philosophy and it's one of the reasons I really like the com- company. The dilemma that I deal with a lot, especially in getting feedback from from people is the people that feel like that's the only thing for Apple. And a lot of people forget at the end of the day, Apple is running a business and <laughs> they do uh, factor into their decisions. Is this going to be good for investors? Is this going to be good for the business? Is this you know? So there's a balance that happens there. It's not purely this, um, you know, uh, only for the only for the sake of the customer kind of thing that goes factors into the decisions that Apple makes. But Tim doesn't and say only it causes for a lot of frustration frustration only for people. He,
1: he says it's about the product, which is subtly different, right? Because you can't right. make a successful product if it's not profitable
2: but people confuse that very often and i hear from a lot i get angry letters from a lot of people that say you know apple used to be all about the customer and no. and and that's the mantra and they should only be looking out for the customer and they've lost their way and i have to remind them no apple has always been a business <laughs> they yeah. run their business as a business they have an underlying philosophy that is about making great products, and that benefits the customer for sure, but it's not the same thing. And the other thing, I mean, Tim has spoken
1: very strongly about how much he hates the three-month cycle. because I, I, And he <laughs> he was explicit about that. He wishes he didn't have to report every three months because it, it leads for really bad planning in so many companies. So I, I think one of the reasons I like Apple is because their time horizon, it, they're looking at a bigger picture than the three-month cycle, and they don't mind... If the three-month cycle doesn't go perfectly for them because they're looking at a step further ahead. And I wish more companies did Smart. that. Yeah. Okay. Any any final thoughts on this financially stuff? Either the earnings call or the magic. Oh, actually, no, sorry, I do want to say one more thing. Um Business Week get a prize from me for <laughs> having the uh, for being big enough to admit how wrong they were. So they have they tweeted with just Three letters and a photograph. The three letters were lol, and the photograph is a hand holding up a copy of Business Week from quite some time ago uh, when Apple still had the rainbow logo. And it was titled The Fall of an American Icon on an All Black Background. Basically, that time, Business Week predicted the end of Apple. And Apple turned a trillion, and <laughs> Business Week literally lolled at themselves. And I think, well done. I wish everyone could own their mistakes.
0: <laughs> the date on that cover was uh, February 1996, for what that's worth. So that's just about the time I think Steve came back later that year. It's late the low 96, right? beginning 97. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. That was but the nadir of Apple. everybody was. I mean, to be fair, everybody was doing it at that time. I was, I was curious to go back and figure out when it Wired did their prey cover.
1: am <laughs> <laughs> <It was> probably <laughs> about, the same, about the same
2: time frame. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's. it's- you know but nonetheless I think you know well done business week you're the only one who owned it I didn't see Wired owning it um, and I'm not saying they were stupid Did Michael Dell was in trouble. or Michael yeah look. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah
1: he he definitely doesn't want to should, too loudly should
2: sell themselves and give all the money back to the stockholders I think something right. was, it was something to that effect
0: shareholders yeah I think he said but whatever same
1: yeah wrap it up same and same. give the money to the shareholders I think is what he said yeah Yeah. so that didn't go too well for him either yeah, I mean this was a low point, right? The the absolute nadir of Apple was that point when everyone knew that they if the current trajectory continues, they would have been dead. They, like yeah, they yeah. needed a miraculous turnaround. And it just so happens they got one. But it was a turnaround, like the trajectory was straight out of brick wall, in fairness to Business Week. Yeah. Uh, before we wrap up the show, just a few quick stories. Um, much to everyone's surprise, USB restricted mode arrived in iOS 11.4.1. I think a lot of us had expected it not to show up till iOS 12. But hey, presto, Apple continue to protect our privacy with new features. So that's always good. Um, Apple then proceeded to make many people, insiders in the business, excruciatingly cranky by ending the affiliate program for apps and in-app purchases. Um my personal view is that as a customer, I don't give a flying bleep because those websites that make their money by trying to, to, to convince me I want apps I don't want don't interest me. And I don't think this is in any way a bad thing for customers. It's just a bad thing for some websites and I don't care. But maybe someone wants to disagree with me on that.
2: Um, I mean... There's a lot of your favorite websites that are prob- probably using uh, the affiliate programs to help supplement other revenue streams that they're they're doing. So anytime one of those goes away, I mean, it ha- it does have an impact. So I'll just argue on, on that side of things. Is it going to make or break your favorite website? In most cases, not. I think the one that we heard about the most was... Um, one of the m- iOS mobile gaming websites that relies on in-app purchases and apps for, I think, the majority of their, re- you know, the affiliate program for a large chunk of their revenue.
1: Okay, well, that's a um, problem then, because if a if a, so if a website correct, they, is, is not actually <laughs> telling me that they're that they're making money off me clicking on these things, and they they have a perverse incentive, they have been lying by omission about in which case i'm even more cranky at them this
2: is pretty common for probably most of the i mean anytime you see a reference on almost to a link either amazon or apple or anything that has an affiliate program on any website it can be a lot of your favorite news websites it's probably an affiliate link uh in a lot of cases so there's a conflict of interest. Because uh, it just makes on, sense. Right? I mean, if I'm writing an article and it's something that I really like and I want to link you to it, and by linking you to it, I can make a, a couple bucks off of that link, uh, I don't think that's necessarily a problem. And it, it's, I No, think it's it, only a problem it, if you don't tell me.
1: Huh. I'm sorry, but I would argue strongly that if you're in a if you're a site that claims to be a news site and you're making a profit of things without being honest and transparent and about it, that's you, a conflict look at of interest.
2: More closely, because I think of probably a lot of sites that you're not aware are doing it. I know, aware which is why I'm, I'm
1: delighted it. it's gone. I think great, one less <laughs> conflict of interest in the world.
2: Well, the flip side of that is is there are some sites that do rely on some of this as as revenue. What I was going to argue was is that if you have built your site and this is the only way you fund your site, then you have a different problem from a business perspective.
1: Yeah, you put all of your eggs in one basket and the handle just came off. Yeah, yeah. Exactly.
2: Well, and the handle can come off very easily. That's the thing. Is like you're 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 now operating at the whim of somebody that you're not in control of, and that's not a great way to run a run a business.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of people got burned by Facebook over the years by hitching their right. business model to Facebook's current way of doing things, and then Facebook changed your mind, and all so, of a sudden your business model goes out the window. So it's. it's-
2: but I can understand, you know, some sites being upset that this is this was maybe. Part of the eggs in their basket, and they're losing that egg, and it 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 stings a little. But you know, they'll be fine. They'll find another way and move on.
1: Because so, I've heard a lot of anger about it, but I'm sitting there as a consumer, going, "Okay, fine, it's bad for you, but is it bad for me as a consumer?" And the conclusion I've come to is, no, it's actually good for me as a consumer. But that wasn't the point of view I we saw so much unlike
2: Again, I don't know. I, I I guess maybe I don't see the, the the bad side. If I'm on a site and they're linking me to an app they think is cool, and I click on it and I buy it great you know if it's a junky app and they're only doing it for the money yes that's a problem
1: to me it comes down to full disclosure right how many podcasters will say oh, I own one apple share full disclosure and then not tell you that they're that they're effectively making a profit by trying to get you to click on links it's like no hang on that's full disclosure too so I'm cranky that it was being done in secret and I've now discovered it as they killed it and I'm going oh good I'm glad that's dead <laughs> But
2: but like you said, it's still there for books and music and movies, too. So watch those links.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Apple have also killed their photo printing service, which is both very disappointing and about time. Because in the latest versions of iPhoto, it was the most buggiest, infuriatingest, junkiest interface I've ever come across. And it made me swear at my computer an awful, awful lot. On the other hand, the physical quality of the products was superb. So, you know... I guess they had to either fix the, either make iPhoto not suck, or stop doing it. And they went with let's just not do it anymore.
2: I I think it's probably mostly a um a revenue driven thing as well. I would imagine. Yeah. I think people with smartphones and and the internet and sharing. I think as as great a quality as the printing printed products were, I think people just aren't buying that much anymore.
1: Yeah, I think it's a and it's, so it's,
2: yeah, you know it's the its staff stay. to even just manage it. Because frankly, Apple outsources all that stuff anyway. So they've just had a contract with somebody. It's just you know they do have some costs in terms of maintaining the software, maintaining customer service, handling orders, doing payment processing. You know, so there's some hard costs associated with it. And when the business dwindles to a point where you can't justify that anymore, it, poof, it goes away. And <laughs> and a lot of third parties are using the same. Um, companies uh, behind the scenes. I know a little bit about this from working at Nick because we were mm. kind of Nick software, because we were looking into some of these things, adding it services into some of the products. And there's really just a handful of companies that are still providing these services. And, you know, whether you're going to, and I can't vouch for these, but, you know, imagine you're going to like a Snapchat or a, you know, a smug mug or whoever's offering these services, um they're ultimately using just a handful of companies to actually do it they're not doing it themselves they're they're the thing is apple
1: apple had done the due diligence to pick good partners and i trusted apple to do that and now i'm gonna have to go and do the due diligence myself
2: uh correct yeah i mean but again it's it's like white labeling stuff it's just there's there's only a handful it's like monitors right
1: yeah there's a million brands of monitors
2: out there but there's really only three lcd panels yeah, existing in the world that yeah. are that are driving those monitor and it's the same kind of thing for this for these services there's like two or three companies there's one really really good one and a couple other okay ones and that's what everybody uses
1: but basically since apple redid iPhoto into photos the the printing stuff has been so buggy that apple had to do one of two things either fix it or kill it and like you right. say i don't think there's enough of a market to fix it so correct they did yeah. the right yep.
2: thing totally agree and it was buried anyway i mean good luck finding it if you didn't go specifically looking for it exactly both of
3: those um, both of those articles that we just talked about just just sounds like apple's just been doing some tidying up doesn't it really yeah we, yes. we, which they yes. should
1: do as a company right and they also killed the the airport extreme you know the whole airport line as well and again it wasn't worth their while being in that business so instead of letting it languish tidy up after yourself and carry on so yeah i think you're yeah. right Uh, Apple have also uh, dropped the price on their Texture product, which is a company they bought a while ago, so it's now $9.99 a month to have a Texture subscription, and we have a new Apple Store app on iOS with a new Fancy Pants Talk to its search feature, and Apple are continuing to extend business chat, and there's a link in the show notes to a full list of all of the companies now using the business chat service. Uh, Steve Jobs' daughter is publishing a book which I'm sure will be interesting reading and then the final bit of news is that Adobe are reported to and then confirmed that it was true they will be announcing in early 2019 that there's a full version of Photoshop coming to the iPad by late 2019 in theory, hopefully, maybe Um, that certainly underlines the point that the iPads are cannibalizing the Macs if you have a full Photoshop suite on the iPad Pro that is an extremely interesting product
0: yeah, yeah. I just that that will blood. be a
1: big
3: deal. Yeah, just seem rather late to the party, but <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: that's Adobe. That's not unusual.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, folks, thank you ever so much uh, for giving of your time. Adam, do you want to jump in there? Sorry, before.
2: Sorry, there was one last. You just because you 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 went right over it. The um the Lisa Brennan-Jobs mm. book mm. that's coming out in September, which is called I think Small Fry. Um, you have a link to the Mac Observer article, which then links to the Vanity Fair piece where they actually uh, published an excerpt. I would recommend people go read that. Um, it is really well written, in my opinion. I'm looking forward to the book now, and I I wasn't thinking much of it before. Interesting. Um, and it's a very interesting uh, perspective into some of the last days of Steve. Um, it's a little piece about... Uh her kind of hanging out at the house and and it goes into a few things with apple history it's It's a great read it's well worth reading over at vanity fair so hmm. cool
1: interesting okay I'll be honest i might i had sort of breezed over it, but now that you've said that i'll I'll go have a read, yeah excellent. Okay, folks, thank you very much for giving so freely of your time. Um, just before we wrap up, a reminder, there will be links, uh, there will be show notes with links to all the stories and inform my thinking on this month's news over at lets-talk.ie. Uh, when you get there in the sidebar, you'll see a heading called Support the Show, and underneath there are a collection of large blue buttons. I really appreciate it when you guys use those buttons. Um, the single most... Cost effective way of supporting the show is, and will we'll probably remain for some time, Patreon. The idea is you pledge a small dollar amount for every show I get published. It will be exactly two a month one Apple, one photography. So if you'd like to give me $2 a month, pledge one. If you'd like to give me $4, pledge two. You get the idea. Um, And the great thing is the Patreon money is a reliable stream of income to match my bills, which are a reliable stream of outgoings, and the two are beginning to line up nicely, which is fantastic. And so, you know, Patreon is really what makes it possible for me to keep running this show. Uh, There is also a PayPal button, and people push that button from time to time, and it's very helpful to give a one-off donation. And I tend to use that for, you know, buying new software or new hardware as needed, whereas the Patreon is for paying the the monthly bills. Both are extremely useful. And I really appreciate whenever anyone clicks either one. And then there are also some affiliate links to very nerdy stuff. And I wasn't sure if these were worth it, but um, I stand corrected. I have an audience of nerdy people because I got two payouts from DigitalOcean this month. Uh, So thank you very much to the people who use those affiliate links. So one of them is to DigitalOcean, who do virtual machines, Linux... Linux servers in the cloud, basically. If you use my affiliate link, both of us get something for that when you when you pay them at least $25. And then there is also a Hover.com affiliate link for domain registrations, if you register domains. And that one, you don't get anything other than the satisfaction of helping me, but it does nonetheless help me. So I appreciate it when nerdy listeners use either of those two links. And also... You know, just telling your friends is supporting the show. It doesn't have to be financial. You know, spreading the word is every bit as supportive as anything else. And I appreciate everyone who does either. Um, In no particular order, Nick, would you like to let the listeners know where they can find more of you online?
3: Uh, you can find me on Twitter very occasionally. Um, and my Twitter name is Bligosh, Spligosh, S-P-L-I-G-O-S-H.
1: Excellent. Uh, Linda, where can people find you? And please uh, plug the uh, Silicon uh, the Silicon Valley Mac users group as well.
0: Yeah, actually, I was just, just going to give the Twitter uh, handle for SV Mug, which is simply at SVMug, S-V-M-U-G. Uh, and I also mentioned that we are we're going to have Burt Monroy at our next meeting of Photoshop fame. He's a superb artist, Photoshop artist, p- for people who don't know about him. So, yeah. Um, yeah, come find out about that. You can go to the Twitter feed. We, it will be announced, the date and all the details, how to get there and so, so on and so forth.
1: And when you guys so. meet in physical space,
0: where physically in the Valley do you guys meet? We meet at Google, actually. Well, that's we kind of ironic. On, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> we meet on Google's campus. And a, a lot of the people, um, and Adam has presented for us before, and a lot of the people will do so remotely. Uh, but in this case, Bert is Bert is local, and he will be there in person. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Cool.
1: And yeah. Adam, do you want to? I'm sure the listeners know who you are and what you do, but anyway, you know, please do <laughs> give out the plugs.
2: Sure, I do the MacCast podcast, which you can find on your favorite podcast app as MacCast, or you can check out MacCast.com, or uh, you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com/slash MacCast.
1: Excellent. Thank you very much. I've been your host, Bart BlueShots. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing.
0: You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. On the MyMac.com
3: podcast. And how could they contact you, Gaz? (laughs) For those who don't speak parrot, that's Gaz at MyMac.com G-A-Z at MyMac.com And you can also reach him on the Twitters at Twitter.com forward slash gazmez, G-A-Z (laughs) M-A-Z And we have a combined Twitter account which is Twitter.com forward slash guy and gaz, G-U-I-A-N-D-G-A-Z. And if you wanted to let Fearless Leader know that you don't speak parrot, you can let him know that by <laughs> sending an email to feedback at mymac.com, no Z. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're listening to the G-Man